Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good morning, Joe. So we are recording today's episode in the morning of Friday, the 30th of October. Following on from last week's look at economies outside the UK, this morning has seen the release of economic indicators from a number of Eurozone countries. So we'll have a quick roundup of that. As promised last week, we're also going to do a deep dive into the ONS Impact of Coronavirus Survey, which was released last week. And if we remember, that's a two-weekly survey um, that's been going on. I think we're on wave 15. Um, And Nick has been like a child in a sweet shop, I think, this week. So he spent a lot of time delving into the detail and will do a nice roundup um, of that for us. And then we also want to just have a look at the cash flow squeeze that is due to come for businesses of all sizes. The original furlough scheme, so the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme, CJRS, finally ends tomorrow. And it's replaced by the new job support scheme, the JSS. And if you remember, that had an initial iteration and then it was revised by um, Rishi Sunak as the, the various parts of the country started to go into tier two restrictions. So just as a reminder, for the new job support scheme, unless a workplace is forced to close, and if a workplace is forced to close, then a worker is paid 67% of wages by the government. If there isn't a, a forced closure in place, the new JSS will mean that an employer has to pay an employee to work for 20% of their time, and then 4% of hours not worked. And then the government pays 49% of hours not worked. So the take-home pay is 73%. But under both of those schemes, the employer has to pay pay the NI and the minimum pension contributions. And that scheme is going to last for six months as a minimum from the 1st of November 2020. So let's let's jump back to the um, picking up on on last week, the Eurozone um, and the individual country figures. And these are being released more or less as we're recording. So I'm not sure we have necessarily the complete picture, but I think we've got enough just to do a quick flavour of what's happening. So the Eurozone as a whole is not expected to fall into technical recession, which is two quarters of negative growth. Um, Q1 um, didn't fall into negative. Q2, the decline was um, 11%. And the forecasters were expecting the July to September figure to be a growth of around 9.4%. And actually, just in the last few minutes, um, that has been confirmed at 12.7%. So quite a big increase on what was expected. And then just a quick run through of the individual country results that we do have. Um, we've got France, where GDP in Q3 grew by 18.2% compared to the, um, the 13.7% decline in Q2. Um, but we're still below pre-pandemic le- levels. That's 4.3% lower than it was pre-pandemic. And the French finance minister has been doing the media, media rounds today, predicting that the overall impact of um, coronavirus on 2020 will be a contraction of 117 compared to um, 2019. In Germany, again, strong growth, um, 8.2% growth in Q3, and that compared to a 9.7% contraction in Q2. Um, But that still leaves the economy 4.2% smaller than before the pandemic. And the GDP numbers in Germany were accompanied by data on retail sales, and that they dropped 2.2% in September. And that was quite much quite bigger than than had been expected. I think 0.8% was what what was forecast for that um, fall. Spain, again, higher than expected growth, 6.7% growth um, following the 17.8% contraction in Q2. Um, But that's a a bigger contraction. So there, Spain is 8.7% smaller than it was um, pre-pandemic. So if you look at the graph, Spain is quite a laggard. Um, Their 
Italy, that's Italy is the third largest economy in the Eurozone. Um, Q3 growth, 16.1%. Um, and that's that's better because the consensus among forecasters have been that that would be an 11% growth. So that really is quite a significant um, growth. And of course, because Italy had been impacted by COVID before the other European economies, they were in technical recession because they'd seen a contraction in Q1 and Q2. Um, now, just put that into the context of UK. UK um, GDP numbers for Q3 aren't due out until the 12th of November. So we're just working on Q1, Q2 and forecasts. And as a reminder, in the UK, GDP fell in Q1 by 2.2% and then 19.8% in, um, in Q2. The Institute for Fiscal Studies is predicting a 17.5% rise in Q3, um, which is an overall outlook for the year of a, a kind of 6.2% decline uh, in 2020. But remember, as we talked about last week, the IMF are predicting 9.8% contraction for the UK economy. So I still, still think there's quite a lot to um, still to be to be seen on that. And I think, Nick, you said you, you had some interesting other figures from IFS that you'd picked up. Yes, I mean, it's it, it's fascinating. It published this morning, or at least commented on this morning in The Independent, that... Um, uh, the IFS have analysed uh, bank account data for August and September, and spending across the country is down by 10%, wow. despite wow. the Rishi Dishi deal, which mm. we know distorted all the numbers in, in August. And the other interesting thing, the comment they make is that that uh, um, is spread evenly across the country as a whole. It doesn't seem to be affected by where the virus is most prevalent. Well, that's interesting. So you might expect that to be, you know, in, in the northern cities, which have been affected yeah, no, really <coughs> since August. With this no, no, it's wave. not. And the, and the, and the, the really headline um, figures, before we come on to their conclusions, <clears throat> was that well-off, and there's a real divide, rich and poor, mm. um, well-off households cut their spending on goods and services in August and September by 41%. Wow. 41%. Because, of course, they're spending on the things you can't spend on. You know, restaurants, travel. holidays, travel, mm. all that sort of um, stuff. But the, um, the the deterioration for those in the in the bottom fifth of incomes was equivalent to fourteen percent of income. So they're fourteen percent wow. worse off in terms of disposable income on that. Wow. And, and the last thing that the IFS said was uh, that they now think that there is, they have got evidence of a permanent shift in spending and that people are not going back to their, their previous habits. Um, and they're saying that spending on groceries has plateaued at 10% above 2019 levels. Mm -hmm. And spending, for example, on takeaways has gone up by 60%. Wow. And people are spending 20% wow. less in restaurants, 60% less on holidays, heaven knows where would you go where would you go indeed well apart from the uk where everything's booked out um mm. and 30 percent less on trans transport and of course if you think about that that has huge implications yeah. for jobs and for financial stability in the sectors that we keep unfortunately banging on about hospitality um leisure basic basically um travel obviously but i include that within uh, within leisure yeah so, yeah, it's big. It's it's a big, um, a big shock. And I think, you know, on the um, on the the forecast and the, you know, I think we were talking before we recorded, all the eurozone um, economies seem to be outperforming forecasts. 
and we're we're underperforming yes it's an it's a neat contrast I, i couldn't possibly comment about brexit in that context I mean, you have to you you have to wonder, don't you? That, that I mean, and we still have not really got any more talks. No. I think continuing on Brexit, so you know, watch your space. But there's nothing really no. um, to say. Other, you know, the prime minister hasn't re- reversed his um, statement from a couple of weeks ago, which was prepare for no deal. Um, yep. So <clears> I think businesses are, are still on that kind of footing. Well, busy spending money that they may not need to in the out- yeah. in, in the final outcome. But hey, yeah. we talked about that last time, and uh, such is life in a t- time of such uncertainty. Indeed, no doubt. We'll come back to that. So let's move on, Nick, to the ONS um, right. study. <clears throat> right. Now, this is a statistical um, and financial analytical nerd's wet dream. This is just <laughs> the most amazing stuff. Spreadsheet after spreadsheet, chart after chart. Um, and we will we will send the link out to this. Yes. I think there is a barrage of, of numbers. And I think I, I, I simply, I, I, you know, I'll put you all to sleep if I if I go through this in any detail. <laughs> so I'll stop you, Nick, if we get to I know, I know. So just so you, to put it in context, it's a sample of 24,000 and a bit companies. So it's a decent, chunky yep. sample. It, and, and, it, and it's deliberately spread across industries and, and, and size. And it covers the two weeks to the 4th of October. So it's prior... You know, it's current-ish. It's prior to the acceleration of COVID cases that yep. we've been seeing the last couple of weeks. And it is prior to, to pretty much all the tier three lockdowns. Although, as you pointed out earlier when we were talking, Joe, um, quite a lot of the tier three uh, areas were in tier two before. Mm-hmm. So, um, but nonetheless, it doesn't reflect that. Headlines, gosh, where to start? Um uh, it looks at the things that interest me. Um, there is all sorts of stuff about um, what percentage of people are still on furlough on the, at the 4th of October. And, and just one headline from that, that 9% of the workforce was on furlough on the uh, oh. 4th of October. That's sort of 3 million, mm. 2.9 million people were still on furlough at that point. Yeah, um, the other And two other areas, um, they looked at... Uh, the well, three other areas, and, and it's all under the heading of business resilience. They looked at the businesses that were experiencing turnover increases, turnover decreases, or no impact at all. And for the first time in a long time, they've been doing this right back to the beginning of the pandemic. Um, the number of businesses experiencing a drop in turnover has stopped going down and is going up. And the number of businesses experiencing an increase in turnover has stopped going up and is going down. Oh, they're just going the wrong way, really. For... They're going the wrong way. Um, they they talk about it. The trend has flattened. I think it's probably done a wee bit more than that. Mm. And particularly um, where we are now, as you said, although you know it's still current, that's still almost a month ago, isn't <coughs> it? That that's um, that data's covered. And yeah, you know, um, the, the the other area, and I'm skipping through this a bit because, um, to be honest with you, there is just so much. Um, uh, the they also ask businesses about the level of their cash reserves. And there you get some really, really interesting figures. Um, and to give you an example, you wouldn't be surprised to know that hospitality, 40% of the businesses that responded had less than three months cash. Um, and if you look at other sectors, the arts, surprisingly, actually low, a quarter of them had no had three months or less cash reserves. Transportation and storage, 27% 
have three months or less. Um, admin and support services, it's 34%, a third of them. Construction, it's a third. Wow. And um, property, it's, it's 28%. That's probably got quite a lot to do with the fact nobody's paying any rent. Yeah. Yeah. On on that, but if you look at ac- across the whole of the economy, four percent of UK businesses have no cash reserves. Twenty three percent have less than three months, and sixteen percent have four to six months. So if you add that lot together, forty three percent of the economy has less than six months cash. And we're just going into a period. Expecting... Cash is famously squeezed through the yeah, uh, through and, the I, well, and also that um, you know the, the lockdown measures are not going to ease anytime soon, are they? I mean, if anything, we're going to be finding that that more yeah. and more areas are, are going into tighter restrictions. That's right. Um, that, that's right. The other thing they asked companies, and 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 actually, the the honesty must be you have to say the honesty is is refreshing. They asked the respondents about their risk of insolvency. Oh yes, okay, and and. Um, Across the the whole sample and therefore the whole economy, 5% of companies are reporting a severe risk of insolvency. 13% are reporting a moderate risk. So it's about one in five UK businesses are saying they are at reasonably high risk of insolvency. The highest risk risk sectors um, for severe risk of insolvency, unsurprising, hospitality, 17%. Mm-hmm. Admin and support activities nine percent, the arts seven percent. Now here's one that, that hit home to me: manufacturing seven oh, percent, yes. saying saying they are at severe risk of insolvency, and twenty two percent saying they're at moderate risk of insolvency. That, I mean, that shocked me. That is shocking. I, we were talking again. We were talking about this earlier. Looking at the because um, I think somewhere in that that detail there's about um, furlough for manufacturing, and and there I think that that although in the first lockdown. Um, workplaces weren't forced to to shut in, in the manufacturing industry, but they had yep. to be made COVID secure. Now, clearly, if you're in a in a kind of production line type environment and you've got to allow people to be socially distant, that's going to have an impact on your ability to produce at the same level and your yep. profitability, I guess, of, of of being able to produce. So that may, I guess, be starting to have an impact on people thinking whether it's worth worth continuing yes. and, and viable to continue. Yeah, and the the other one that that uh, caught my eye because I'm a a social care obsessed um, commentator uh, is that 32% of um, human health and social work activity companies say they are at moderate risk of insolvency. Oh. That's care homes. It's domiciliary care, you know, mm. care homes and care at home um, yeah. companies will be will be causing all of. Uh, all of that. Um, interestingly, um, you touched on furlough. Um, but let's go back very briefly to that. They've broken down um, again. Um, nine. We said nine percent of the workforce is was still on furlough on the fourth of October, and and twenty eight percent were working remotely, and fifty nine percent were back working in their normal workplace. Gosh, okay. Um, the industries, unsurprisingly, with the highest amount of remote. Remote working or information and, uh, and communications, of yeah, course. No surprise. Um, yeah. But also professional, scientific, and technical activities. Sixty-three percent of them are mm. are working remotely. And if you and if you, you know, some of the the sectors, arts and entertainment, twenty-eight percent of the workforce is on furlough. 
Um, oh. Leisure, we we knew to, uh, 24%, yeah. which is 750,000 people. Oh. Um, admin and support services, 14% on furlough. So, you know, interesting. Um, and the final thing before I put everybody completely to sleep about these figures, when I got into severe nerd territory, I was in the data set, um, Excel spreadsheets at the back of this thing. <laughs> and um, something caught my eye, um, which was they've published data about the take-up of the various government support schemes right, okay. by sector, mm. which is really interesting. interesting. Mm. And, and what you get here, and, and, they, and they looked at sort of three main areas. One was the furlough scheme. Yep. The next one was sort of bounce back loans and sea bills and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then business grants that were funded by the UK and generally dispersed through local authorities okay. and generally to smaller local businesses, not entirely, yep. but generally speaking. And there you get, it's interesting, um, uh, you know, le- uh, hospitality, 71% of uh, businesses took up the furlough scheme. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Education, 67%. But that's is high, isn't it? Yeah, but that's because I think you know um, every school I know in in that early period when the schools were closed were furloughing. Um, uh, they weren't furloughing teachers; they were furloughing uh, admin staff and, and you know lab right. technicians and all that sort of you know the sports um, masters were being furloughed. Um, and uh, if you look at the the loan schemes. Education, highest take-up of, lo- of loan schemes, 75% of education wow. companies um, applied for loans. Uh, and if, uh, you know, um, hospitality, 40%. Now, here's the thing, manufacturing, 61% of companies use the furlough scheme. High, and 40% applied for loans. Hmm. And those so successful, to, is there, is there, is there um, information about the success rate of, yes, of yeah, that yeah. as well? Then the last, the last thing before um, uh, before you tell me that uh, tell me yeah. to talk too <laughs> talk too long. They they then also published the success rate, uh, and they asked them mm. they asked the companies uh, if you applied for loans, have you had any money, or you applied for any of these schemes? Yeah, and you get some quite interesting um, uh, figures for for the furlough scheme. 80, only 84% of the applications appear to have been successful. There may be some in the pipeline, but been successful. Mm, Construction, only three quarters, only 75% have had any money yet from the government. I mean, you know, as I say, it may be work in progress getting that money through. Transport, um, it's 74%. Um, so 26% haven't had, had any money. Uh, and across all industries, uh, the success rate on, on furlough applications is 81%. And right. for government-backed loans, it's forty-five percent. Now, I, I think with the loans, there I know there are problems still with getting those paid, mm. those paid out. Despite all this, we're going to make it easy. And also, enough. there was quite a big um, push towards those companies that hadn't taken loans to get in before the yes, um, deadline. I know that was extended a couple of times, but I still think that there were um, yeah. there were issues with getting that out. And of course, I, th- I think in, am I right in thinking the bill, um, bounce back and C bills have been lumped together yeah. in that and there were yes, obviously much stricter um criteria for the sea bills loan so the success rate yeah. there wasn't quite as high as for the for the bounce back um yeah yeah that and, and is one, it's an interesting um summary one last little thing um uh there is a distinct difference between the size of the impact of uh the virus in commercial terms 
um, on according to the size of the company. I, I, right, it's okay. Is that news? I don't know. But, the, you know, the, the percentage of businesses and their current trading status, you know, whether they were they're trading, they're temporarily closed or they're permanently closed. Mm-hmm. If you look at the tiddlers, the companies that are you know, 10 staff and under, only 85% of them are back in business right. and uh, 12% are temporarily closed and 3% have stopped trading. You look at the big boys, anything about, well, big boys, anything above 10 people, 95% of them are trading and only 1% have closed right. permanently. So, you know, are we surprised that smallest business, the smallest businesses are the worst affected? No, not, not, not remotely, but we've got confirmation of it. Yeah, now. but seeing it in black and white, again, just brings it home, doesn't it? The yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, yeah. the impact. And I think we, we were going to say, actually, that, that maybe leads slightly nicely on to the next point about our um, the cash tightening. Flow cliff um, edge is what I've been calling it. That's coming up. Yeah. And um, you've got, you have quite a nice um, kind of picture. Diagram, diagram, diagram. Yes. What I, what I looked at, and this was done for a, um, a, a webinar with 120 accountants of all shapes and sizes, um, trying to persuade them to get their clients to pay attention to cash flow forecasting. Mm. And, and what I looked at was, um, I was doing this a week ago. And um, so I produced this f- sort of flow chart diagram, whatever timeline, I think you call it. And if you look at what, uh, and again, I've recently written a blog where I describe the government um, as having thrown a protective um, a cloak over the pandemic puddle of cash flow problems. And, uh, you know, all these schemes and all these deferrals and bans on winding up petitions, but it's all coming to an end mm. unless some of these things are for, are extended. So if you look at the timeline, uh, tomorrow the furlough ends. It's okay. It's it's now being replaced by a much better scheme. But you know, that, well, better scheme than originally. I mean, it's not better than original furlough, but it's better no, than it was originally meant to be. Not at all replaced and by. Mm-hmm. So so that will have that that has an impact on 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 cash flow. Nothing like as bad as everybody thought it might have. But yeah. Um, on the thirty first of December, the ban on landlords enforcing rent stops. And let me tell you, I know from anecdotal information through professional contacts that there are landlords and their lawyers champing at the bit yeah. to get at the companies that that have not paid rent but could afford to. And there mm. are lots of those and some very high profile names that ought to know better. Yeah. Um, but 31st December also, um, the ban on winding up petitions ends. So it's a double whammy. Suddenly you've got you know, right across the enforcement community, you know, the credit managers, um, you have got the the the, the, you know, the dogs are off the leash mm. from that point. Go forward another month to the end of January, and for those businesses that are you know run by by you know, self-employed businesses or unincorporated businesses, which there are more than you might think, the July 2020 self-assessment tax liability was postponed you didn't yeah. have to pay it you could if you wanted but you didn't even but I think have all, to apply. almost almost automatically you didn't have to apply it sorry you're about to say that you didn't no, even you have, didn't to have to apply it, you know mm. you could pay if you really wanted to but otherwise yeah. you know pay us in january and there's no interest yeah. so that falls due on the 31st of january which is the same date when the first installment for the following tax year yeah. falls due so you've got a double whammy and and remember that those assessments are based on pre-covid profits yeah. So they're paying, you know, in a perfect world, people put the money aside 
to pay the tax as they earn it. But, uh, you know, that's that's yeah. not. I think we all know that that doesn't really, really happen. So I mean, to be, be fair, then 31st of January, though, if you have furloughed and people are still employed, you are eligible for the £1,000 The job retention bonus. bonus that's thing. right. Um, yes, in, in, indeed. So there some... is a silver, slight silver. <coughs> Um, on, the, on the 7th of February, the Christmas quarter VAT becomes due. Yeah. Now, the Christmas quarter VAT is the killer for a lot of businesses. It won't be so severe this time, but that'll simply mean they haven't been trading so well. Mm. Um, so that comes due. And then the, the big whammy, the 31st of March 2021, the business rate holiday ends. So from April onwards, that you know, businesses are paying business rates. And it's going to be a shock because... The uh, the increase since they last paid um, business rates in 2019 to 20 has gone yeah. up considerably, and it's going to have a big impact in retail. It's huge in yeah. retail. Um, so 31st of March, business rates uh, come due, start to come due again. It is, of course, the rent quarter day, and, of course, the landlords will not be stopped, I think the phrase is, from, <laughs> yeah. uh, from, from enforcing. enforcing. And, of course... Uh, if you remember back into the far distant past, back at the height of the pandemic, the government said, if you owe any VAT due uh, prior to June 2020, you can defer it to the 31st of March next year. You know, everybody said, oh, whoopee, oh, lovely, that's yeah. a long way. That's a long way away. But hey, guys, it's coming down mm. the track. So 31st of March is bad news. Now, mm. some of this could, you know, could change. The government could decide to extend the landlord ban the winding up petition ban. Um, who knows what's going to happen on business rates? Everybody is pressing them to do something about business rates on that. But um, you know, you've got to set set this in context. Um, this is coming at a time when businesses are not trading well. Many of them, some are, some are doing well, but not are not trading well. And, and it's not a particularly pretty picture. No. No, I mean, thank you for setting that out. It's actually, um, I don't know whether we can, we can get the diagram out, but it is quite a, a yeah. good stark um, show of, of what is actually what's actually happening. Joe, I can send you a PowerPoint slide. and, you, and, and, and Steve and can do, do work his magic. Do your wonderful stuff with it. But, uh, <laughs> Indeed. So I think, that's, I think that's probably all we ought to ask people to listen to this morning. Yeah, I feel like it has been, it has been quite um, a, a stat-heavy <laughs> episode. I suppose... Just to, to sum up, and I, I can't um, confess to, to coming up with this originally, but it was something I read this morning and I thought was quite an apt summary, which is using the quote that's attributed to former Conservative Prime Minister Harold Macmillan, saying, events, dear boy, events. And I think we look at the data from the Eurozone particularly and say, you know, that is looking all positive. But actually, look around, look at what's, what's happening. France, Germany, about both embarking on second national lockdowns and you know that is really going to have an impact on on where we expect um where we expect the the future to, to be so i think even in the ons study that's a, a every two week um publication so we'll we'll keep an eye closely on that because i think that will start to 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 show where where things are going um, from that point of view so i think we know how damaging the first lockdown was to economies across europe UK government is desperate to avoid following the French and German example, but this all has quite a, a bit of deja vu um, back in March when when we thought the same. So, thank you very much, everybody, for for listening. I hope it was useful. I hope there's some some interesting snippets, and it saves save lots of you having to do lots of reading um, around. And we'll send some some links to so those of you who are interested in in really delving further into some of the ONS stats. Then we'll we'll put some links up. So, Nick, thank you very much. <laughs>
<laughs> my pleasure again as always um thanks to everyone for listening and we'll be back next week take care bye-bye